Hello, cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 304 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're talking about everything that happened in Rochester, New York this past weekend at Rochester Cross. Second stop in the USCX series. Lots to discuss. Great racing over the weekend. Hope you caught it on GCN. I think the this was a uh, a good broadcast. I think they did a, did a nice job on that, and we'll talk we'll talk about that in our media corner to start out this episode as well. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on for a long time here. I am going to quickly do about 30 seconds of self promotion, and then we're going to get into the show. And that goes a little bit like this. First off. CX Hairs Bulletin. Uh, Zach's been crushing it over there. If you have not signed up, if you have not subscribed yet, I I, I, I think you'll love the, the content that he is putting out. If you like this podcast, you're going to like what's going on over there. CXHairs.substack.com. Uh, it's $8 a month, $70 for the year to be a subscriber. That gets you access to our Slack channel that we talk about a lot because there's great conversations going on in there, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible right here uh, just concerning that Slack channel. If you are a member of the Wide Angle Podium Network and you support Cyclocross Radio, Shoot me an email and I'll, I'll get you into the Slack channel because I, I, you know, we love that you support us over there. I, again, there are people who support both and I cannot thank you enough. But if you can only afford one or the other, that's just as good as subscribing to the Substack. And, um, you know, you, you deserve to be part of that conversation. I think I'm going over my 30 seconds. Uh, after <laughs> the Substack, uh, I also, two other things. Want to tell you about these shirts that I'm selling, the Wout Me Worry, the uh, Vanderpool Rules, the This Is Real Cyclocross Weather. Three different shirt designs are all available at cxhairsdistro.com. CXHairs and then D-I-S-T-R-O, cxhairsdistro, one word, dot com. You can uh, still order those. They're going to be shipped to me in the next week or so. I will have enough to cover all of the orders. May have a couple more leftover that I'll bring with me to track, but don't count on that because the online orders get precedence and your size may be gone by the time we get to Waterloo. I think that's an Abba song. Finally, uh, the Heat Check. I, I, I put out the first episode of the Heat Check for this year. Uh, I would love for you to check it out on YouTube. You can go to the Wide Angle Podium YouTube channel. I think if you just... Uh, Search CX Heat Check Power Rankings. It should also come up. Uh, give it a view. Give it a thumbs up. Give it a like. Share it with your friends. That, that, that'll that uh, help help me a lot in getting at least a little bit of revenue from that. Uh, I can tell you that um, they probably take me between 5 and 10 hours to make. And that last one I made $30 on. So, you know, it's a good, it's a good return on investment. But I, I, I like doing it. I like doing it. That's why I do it. And um, it makes me happy if, if more people watch them. All right. It's episode 304 of Cyclocross Radio. We got Zach and Michael in the media pit. We're talking about Rochester Cyclocross, Rochette Cross. 
And we're doing that right now. We're back in the media pit. We're really back. This is uh, two weeks in a row. We're doing it, guys. We're doing it. Consistency. It's the second round of the USCX happened this past weekend in Rochester, New York. I think we had a really good weekend of racing bikes. But before we get to that, is this, I don't know, is this like an official corner now? Oh, or, or were you, maybe you were out of town, Bodie. I was going to ask about Golf Corner, but um, I, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> I just, Zach just gave up. He threw up his hands. There, there's, I'm, I'm into the Golf Corner. Uh, you know, call this uh, Amen Corner at Augusta, Georgia. No golf. I was actually in your town, Bill. I was in D.C. for my brother's wedding. You were, I, I came to town and you left. Yeah. Um, but the one thing is I got drizzled to death on saturday and i think that hit you guys on sunday so we had a fun day of dry on saturday and rainy on sunday in rochester so excited i was part of that like i I wasn't there in rochester but i felt like i was i was like walking around dc trying to catch the train and just getting drenched in the mist it wasn't raining it was just like this drizzleness which is kind of what we had in Rochester as well. And then it started, and that's what I thought it was going to be the whole day. And I'm like, that's fine. I can deal with that on Sunday. And then it just started raining. Like it was <laughs> full on rain, but, you know, and we'll get to it. Nothing like what we had last year. And Zach, you were, I guess you you get to play a TV critic this, this week. You were uh, at home catching all the action. Well, here's my question. GCN. Like, what, what kind of hobby do yes. I have to take up that I get a corner? Like, like, what do I, does it have to just be outside the realm of what we do as media people outside the realm of media bike stuff? Like what qualifies? Well, I mean, I could ask you about what's new in Watopia, but is that even a hobby? That's like almost an extension of what you do here. We can ask you about volleyball, Zach. I was going to say you could. Yeah. The Badgers, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Badgers started off. They're undefeated, uh, ranked number one in the country, uh, started off big 10, uh, two and zero. So off to a good start, uh, for the Badgers and we'll see, uh, you know, Nebraska is really good, which really concerns me because we've beaten them 10 times in a row. And so it just, you know, it, it, it lends itself to my favorite gag, you know, somewhere there's a six year old in Lincoln, Nebraska, wondering if the Huskers will ever beat the Badgers in women's volleyball and just really nervous that this might be the year. Cause they're pretty much like the two best teams in the country right now. So, so what I, I guess, and this, this is to, to tie it into, to our conversation here what's the uh give me the give me the rundown on the differences between the the uh cyclocross Ooh, photo yeah, scrum and the and the volleyball photo scrum that's a good question uh i don't know that um it was very interesting i mean it's different i think at uh like wisconsin matches it's a lot of like team media so you know i mean they're a big program and they put really good emphasis so they have like five or six people scurrying around, you know, their student section has a media person. Um, but I, you know what my, the biggest takeaway. So I've done some high school basketball. I've done, uh, some volleyball, volleyball at the collegiate level, uh, people who are photograph photographers, especially professionals in other areas are some of the most unfriendly, least approachable, miserable, just 
<laughs> miserable human beings. And it's just such a contrast to going to cyclocross where I consider so many people in the media pit as genuine, like friends whom I love and adore and is a highlight. And like just the coldness of these people, it's like, why do you even do this anymore? It's, it's really depressing. Yeah. It's just a hustle and a paycheck at that point. Yeah, but not even like a job they enjoy, like a, a job that they hate. Like, why are you even talking to me? And it's just like, this is cool. You're sitting like I'm, you know, I'm at the Pfizer Forum, seventeen thousand people, and we're sitting on the f- the floor of this volleyball match, and the guys just like, I was just, it's so bizarre. I don't know. I feel like that's sort of. I mean, I came from back in the day reality TV, and I, I done some work at the NFL games, and like. The trope of like the camera guy who's older, who's wearing cargo pants, who's like, literally, this is a job, like, and I don't care about the sport, and I'm just good at putting the camera up, I can light something, I can mic you, like, this is my nine to five, and like, (laughs) you're here doing this, I don't know, Zach, your situation, but sometimes you get a hobby guy who comes in, is like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff for free, I love it so much, you're like, bro, like, this is work, this is not something you can step in and out of. Like, be serious about it. That's, I don't know. I feel like I've run into that guy before. You're probably right. That That is probably it. Um, I feel like what you're saying about cycling it and, and what we have for our little media core in the North American cyclocross world, you know, I find the same thing in the mountain bike world, but it's not that much different when you're in Europe on the world cup scene in mountain biking. And it's the same thing. I think that that camaraderie still exists. And I think it's, it's exactly what you're alluding to Michael is that most of the people who become cycling photographers enjoy cycling or have raced like the downhill guy. There's so many former downhill racers who are now photographers, you know, and professional like top, level you know i mean i mean we, we we see it on 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 the on the road as well i mean look how many you know um photographers there who who came who were professional <laughs> cyclists and and now they're uh making their living being a photographer so i think that that's part of it but i yeah i've i've seen that too just in in team sports where it's like that's just the you know that's the ap photographer and he doesn't really care he's just there because <laughs> that's his job Yeah. And I will say just seeing, uh, you know, doing stuff in the volleyball space, like how mediocre so many photographers are. And I think, I hope folks understand this. And I say this as someone who's above average as photography and to see the amazing work that so many people do in cyclocross, in cycling, I really hope everyone appreciates the quality of the photography and the videography that they're viewing because it's incredible. And I feel like I'm just hadn't, I'm on such an advanced level for starting the sport because I learned so much from everyone being so freaking amazing in terms of the photos that, and the, the scenes that they craft. I agree. Wait, hang on. I, I, sorry. You brought up the big 10 Zach. So I just needed to, I just need to address something in the room. You know, we talk a lot about primetime on this podcast, Celine Alvarado, her namesake, Dion Sanders, Coach in the University of Colorado Buffaloes on a hot start. A lot, of, a lot of talk, a lot of hype. I just want everybody to know my alma mater, University of Oregon Ducks, rolled them this Saturday. So it's not prime time in Austin Stadium, boys. Okay, cyclocross. We can go. Quack, quack, quack. Do you got, okay. So, Rochester. Yeah. 
Hey, I, I'll say this as someone who watched the broadcast at a wedding party. Look good on my phone. Like, I was watching on my phone day one. Like, it it was really came together. And we've critiqued it in the past. So when I give critique, I also want to give kudos. I thought it was great. The drone. I was watching the, the drone work on the last lap. Um, sometimes a drone can be a crutch. I've said it before. But they did do a good job of that. I mean, like, you could have more cameras covering these different angles, like stairs, then after the stairs that you turn, and then the corner before the finish. They did a good job. Actually, the 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 drone operator, like, really did a good job of, of navigating the trees and catching the decisive action. So just, just putting out kudos to, to uh, the local crew on the ground and GCN. Like, it's coming together. Well, one thing I will say, you said local crew on the ground. What we have now is the same crew, the same camera, most, not all, the main camera operators and drone operator for the past two seasons have, have been the exact same people, which is, which is key. I think that's, that's a huge part of it, starting from nothing to having the same people doing the same courses and kind of, you know, making sure all their workflows are, you know, ironed out. And I think that's, that's what we're starting to see. And that's, that's kind of what we always said. It's like, this is something, I think it's a four-year contract. I think it takes that long to get up to speed. And I I understand people are paying for this. I understand that they want a professional product, but it's kind of, you know, it has to grow in the same way that, uh, I think if you went back and watched, um, you know, any reality TV show or survivor or whatever season one versus what it is now, it's going to look pretty amateur in that first year because they also were just figuring it out. So yeah, no, that's great to hear. And the other thing they were able to do with their kind of upgrades on cameras, and I know it doesn't always come across that it looks like that, but I guarantee you they are all um, much better cameras than they've had in the past is that they have the, uh, um, remote camera. They got the guy with, uh, the, um, handheld who's, who was out in that field as well. So he was doubling up on the drone. So it was, it wasn't just a hundred percent relying on the drone. Last part of that, the, in year one where we would lose the coverage a lot was back in the wooded section of the Rochester course. Uh, I know, Scott Page maybe was a little sad and this started happening last year that part of it got flooded out. I think even more of it got flooded out this year. So they're not back there. It's on the side of the run-up. They're not back there as long as they used to and there was really just one tiny little wooded section. So the cameras are able to see a lot more than I think they have in the past because Rochester was always a super tricky one to cover just because it's... Have you ever been there, Bodie? I have not, No. Yeah, but Zach's been there. It's a uh, you're covering a lot of ground from end to end at Rochester. Yeah, I'm glad that Brody Brody brought up the end of the elite men's race because I think uh, Rochester was the first weekend of the USCX, and that was day two. We had a great same spot, you know that I, I don't know what to call it. The area by the Belgian stairs, the far side of the course, this flow. I I don't have a name for it. Well, uh, well course as, map, as it, it, yeah, go ahead. It's called the north section, or also the Drone flying zone, no spectator section. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Carol Manny would call it the powerful section. 
Yeah. So in that section, you know, they completely missed the finish between Stephen Hyde and Vincent Bastans. And we were just like among the many things after the day one, to, you know, didn't go super well. Uh, you know, so, you're not talking about this year. You're talking about no. So in 21, I, yeah. I mean, I think we saw the growth, and it was awesome to see them being like, all right, how do we get this drone through the trees and stuff? And they did a great job, and we saw it. We saw the decisive move. We saw you know the race winning move, and I, you know, I think they did a nice job with the long shots too. They lost drone coverage during the elite women's race on Sunday. They I think they did a nice job. You know, in a way, even better capturing some of it. Maybe they can mix mix and match some of that for that section because we did have some decisive moments uh happen in there so yeah yes i was i was at home uh you know as someone doing race reports the only thing that i wish that we would still do more of is like in the last couple laps just leaving on the start finish so we can see positioning a little bit more we don't need to see magli rochette riding alone through the beginning of the lap i think that's one thing that the euros do nice is you get like a good look down to like five six seven eight or whatever and we really had some good battles in those you know we had uh sydney mcgill and Lauren zerner on sunday it's like did we get to see much of that so it you know I, as we you know bill as you're saying it seems like they're really starting to dial it in but i just kind of you know from a from a race reporting standpoint <laughs> selfishly you know trying to get to tell more of those stories it just doesn't have to be a situation where you know the men's race tells itself but like we've had several situations of Megaly rochette riding in a field and we don't need to see as much as that maybe no that's 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 good feedback too and you're right i think the the euros have that dialed in and and by us bringing up stuff like that i think we we can influence i can make suggestions like that they may take them they may not but it's something that we weren't alone in this a lot of people the feedback from last year was what i do at the end of the race the interviews happened way too quickly because the top three a lot of times would be done and there there would be a gap before the rest of the field would come in and a lot of people wanted to see at least through eighth place, right? You know, come across the line. They want to see who's out there. I mean, I know some people would love to see through 20th place, but that's just, they may not even be on the course anymore at that point. But uh, but that was a directive. And if you look at the broadcast now, the interviews start a good two, three minutes later than they used to because they want to make sure that they capture all those people coming through the finish line. So I think that that, that kind of stuff is, is good feedback and stuff that, that may be able to be implemented. So you do kind of get a good, you know, understanding of what's happening on the course. And it's, it kind of goes I mean, in our, in our Slack channel, Bodhi, people loving your idea, not loving my high tech version of the idea, but loving your analog version of, putting signs on the course uh indicating where exactly they are you know 300 meters to go whatever so yeah i thought i i thought i did not get any credit for that i thought it was all zach and bill well they gave zach credit zach gave it to me but mine was just the 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 digital version but yes no i i well let me set the record straight that it was you were the you were the purveyor of the of the analog solution the easy, yeah i was trying to get better the kids analog solution yeah, right. Because right, it's it's all it's all analog these days. <laughs> it's vinyl, man. It's medium format. I apologize, Bodie. I felt like I was reacting to what was in the chat because Bill was chiming in. But you are right. I am still a hundred percent in support of the analog version. Totally cool with it, and uh, would have helped. Like on the north section, I would have known what the name of it is. Uh, but you know, I think that that's a good point. I think 
Bill, you and I can speak to this. We've been to these venues. So like spatially, we know where stuff is like you and I know where the jungle is. But when you're watching, it becomes tougher to kind of put that together unless you're like sitting there with a map. You know, I mean, I've I've literally looked like, all right, where's this map? Like, where is this? Partially because I'm like, where's this course in reference to the Erie Canal? Because I'm a water resources person (laughs) and I love history. But it's like is this the Erie canal and you know, like, Oh, that's where the run up is or whatever. And I think just spatially, I think it would help people because you know, that's these courses are spatial. Like that's part of the, the, the awesome thing about cyclocross that you don't necessarily understand. So you've been to these venues. Yeah. I, 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 I was made the comment, to Brett Rothmeyer, who's out there shooting. Uh, he's actually shooting for the, uh, Cervelo orange living team doing an awesome job on their social media channels uh that rochester is like the best example of of like um miss pac-man because you have your pattern and you know you know your pattern where you can get through the levels and not and not die and it's like start little tree that's the first uh first bottleneck go to double threat go to the you know you know like go go then you have time to walk back to the run-up you know like those first six stops are just uh you know it's the um uh, it, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Like we, we we got our first twenty plays mapped out, and we're just we're just going to follow them. And and that that's like that's the one that hit home. But you're absolutely right. If you're not familiar with the course, none of it makes sense. If to 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 follow that. So I guess one more thing from Broadcast Corner, you know that with Zach Schuster, uh, for every compliment, there's me roasting you because uh, that's just kind of how it works. Uh, Jeremy. Powers, if you're listening, it's the CX Hairs Bulletin. We definitely appreciate the shout outs, but I don't know if people are going to be able to. Bill, can people still subscribe to the old CX Hairs website? What would happen if they tried to subscribe <laughs> to the CX Hairs website? I think you still can. And I think, uh, but because well, all checks still, payable to CX hair, like all, you know, sell it, it, CX hairs sub- at gmail.com. <laughs> there's nothing to subscribe to. I think what's interesting is that I think that site now exists as I'm not sure how to contact these people. There's a contact sheet there. So then I got like the feedback at CX emails, uh, coming in every once in a while from people who, should know just to email me at my email address. Zach, I noticed at the finish though, the start, the start line, the finish line shot, there was a truck in the background with the Rochester logo. Scott Page knows what's up, man. He knows what's up. Yeah, I didn't know if that was there before or that was sort of like him. It's okay, that's every year, every year. Okay. In fact, he he makes he's like they. That's all the stuff to set up the course, and then after course setups done, the kind of like we're we're ready to roll. Ah, as he, moves he in. drives down, drives down, and parks that thing at the back of the um, finish line, which is perfect because so good. As we know, uh, we still haven't. I still haven't done my post up primer which i i still need to to video at some point maybe we can do that in uh wisconsin Bodie. i think we yeah. had this conversation last year about doing that in wisconsin maybe this year we'll do it. it that people still post up too early which means the rochester cyclocross or any truss the finish line truss you can never get that into the shot because it's too high up and if they would actually finish if they would post up again like they do in europe like 20 feet after the finish line, then it frames it a lot better. You know, the other thing that as the backup that they do in Europe is exactly what we have in Rochester is that there is that secondary either truss or logo 
in the Way staging in the area yep. that is always going to get into photos too. So kudos, kudos to Scott Page. I would make a play too for understanding lighting conditions where I think there's a lot to do here. I would say, I will say, uh, I felt like at Roanoke, the posting up uh, procedures were meh, but also there was the porta potty, which made it more challenging because they weren't close enough. That is to say, I thought Jeremy Powers and Ian Field were absolutely phenomenal on the broadcast. I thought they were a great team. I thought they provided so much knowledge and like no muting, listening to all of it, just, you know, absorbing all of the knowledge that the two had. I love that, you know, Jeremy was like, hey, Ian, what do you think's going to happen? And they like totally played with it and just A plus work from from both of those guys on on the, the color commentary this week. All right. Do you think I need to put in the in the show notes? Go to twenty three minutes, and we'll start talking about the racing. <laughs> if you didn't, if you're if you're not here for media media analysis corner, they then, are. Uh, this is the media pits in the name. They, they it's part be. they love yeah. it. It's part of the show. But yeah. All right. So here's 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 my question. We we uh, we get so excited about it's not a question it's going to be a statement we get so excited talking <laughs> about cyclocross and the beginning of the season that we were like yeah you know these women races weren't really that um that uh that exciting last week Max just kind of rode away from it there were some good battles here and there and then we spend eighty percent of our episode talking about those races day two of the women super exciting. Is there much we need to say about day one, the, the, the dry day for, for the women's race? Zach, you did the write-up. Any, any, any highlights to note here from day one? Uh, I mean, I think the only thing is that uh, it seems like Megaly Rochette has really settled into her pattern, and she's just done, I'm going to start as fast as I can. <laughs> and, I mean, she called her shot. Like, you know what? Kudos to, to all the other women in the race on Sunday because in her interview with you, Bill, she was just like, yeah, I'm going to start as fast as I can and do your best to catch up. So um, I, the only other thing, like, you know, Sydney McGill getting on the podium, I think that was big, two fourth places, like to see riders moving up. And, you know, I thought Lauren Zerner, kind of a precursor, I thought she worked really, or raced really well. She had some mechanical issues uh, the previous weekend. But yeah, no, other than that, I mean, I think it was pretty much standard stuff uh, from the elite women. I, I will say the one one thing worth noting, maybe just as good old fashioned foreshadowing. This was, uh, you know, a cool weekend because we had s- dozens of Canadians who came down for this this race. Uh, it's it, it's always like this, you know. That this is one of I think the. I think this cyclocross race is one of the biggest races in Canada, uh, even though it's in Rochester, New York. It's really close. It's not that far. Uh, so they all came down. Part of that, the Stimulus Orbea team came down. They were able to borrow back uh, Isabella Holmgren from uh, Lidl Trek, and, and uh, she she was in this race, first race that she had done since winning her mountain bike world championship as a junior, which came after her cyclocross world championships. Ava, her sister, is still healing up uh, from training injury, so she was not racing, but Isabella jumped in there first race back and got fourth place. So that was, I think, the one one notable maybe result in that in that top ten. 
yeah, and I think Megaly kind of verified what, I don't know, we were, were saying was the story as we wanted to see, you know, what Isabella could do against Megaly Rochette. Uh, you know, we saw, like, I just look at, like, Zoe Backstead, right? She stepped up from winning Worlds in Fayetteville, and she, you know, did pretty well at the elite level last year. And so it's like, we've just seen historically that a, a junior woman who wins Worlds is at, like, a, a top level. And, you know, I it was exciting to see and Magli admitted she was like yeah, I was scared to death of of what Isabella was going to do and I think that influenced part of her her racing but uh, it may also show the level that Magli Rochette is racing at right now I'm talking about if she's back or not I mean <laughs> she's racing pretty well yeah and just to, to follow up on that before we move on just talking about Isabella's age 18 years old we had four 18 year olds in the in the top 10 which is i think is pretty cool as well sixth place kaya musgrave on day one uh ella brenneman was eighth place and then uh greta kilburn was 10th and then a year older but 11th uh was uh chloe frazier at 19 years old so lauren zerner at 20 you know getting that seven spot you know we've seen her race since she was like I don't know, 10 or 11, 12 years old. Now just uh, she's a looking veteran. like the elder, the, the, the veteran of the junior set, even though she's a U23. But that, that was really cool to see, and I think that's, uh, that bodes well for the, for the future of both American and Canadian racing. Day two, though. Uh, guys, I don't know if you've heard this. Some people are, say- Some people are saying this. I don't know. You let me know if you've heard this. But have you guys heard that anything can happen in cyclocross? Were, were you at a hipster bike shop and two, uh, two employees were talking that uh, anything can happen at a cyclocross shop uh, race? Absolutely. That is 100% where I was. I was sipping my, you know, French press pour over coffee. And that's definitely what they French were French press pour over. Okay. <laughs> I obviously am not a hipster. <laughs> Or a coffee drinker. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new I'm technique. Not, He's I'm a not a hipster. Guy. I am not a hipster coffee drinker. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, Zach. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you were on a roll and I, I I called you out on your coffee. Go ahead. I want to what 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 so anything can happen? Even but that was well, my question for you. Are, are some people saying this? <clears throat> well, I here so anything did happen and it happened to Maggie Rochette. What happened? What I mean, can you just kind of like just concise, like sort of nail down what exactly happened to Magli Rochette at the beginning of this race? She maybe picked the wrong tires. I thought that was interesting. She in her email said that the when the weather got a little rainy, she went um, from Griffo's to a low mud tire. Um, and I know a lot of talk on uh, Jeremy. I think it was Jeremy who was talking about this about riders who want to ride as least tread as possible to sort of get the least rolling resistance also, but also to challenge themselves. And I don't, I don't think that was maybe what Magali did, but it, it, it seemed that the, there wasn't enough tread. And when she did eventually switch to a heavier tire, that made all the difference in the race. There's a lot of other factors there too. But the first big incident was she did the cyclocross bend, Bill. She dropped her chain and then stood there for what seemed like an eternity and i was 
I, I had to notice, I noticed there was a woman who was filming her when she was running over the barriers and then she dropped her chain and I was like, what is the woman who was filming? I learned it was Rue. What is she going to do? Is she going to like, this is, <laughs> and I would, that was, it's funny, that's when my eye went to as opposed to the the amount of ra- racers stream past Magalie. I was like, is this writer, is there, are they, she, she's still filming? This will be an interesting moment in this video. I can't wait to see. Anyway, Big train drop. That was the first thing that happened for Mags. It was. I actually went back. I think it was like between 30 and 31 seconds that she was uh, bent over fixing it. But yeah, like it falling off. I mean, you know, it was planks. There was a decent amount between them. She puts her bike down. She puts it down again. It seems like it hit something. Yeah. Like it didn't hit cleanly in terms of the second putting it down. And that seemed to kind of like send it awry. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was 30 seconds. Uh, Sidney McGill, Lawrence Zerner were ahead, but I, I guess it was kind of interesting that, you know, she was only a few seconds ahead. She lost 30 seconds, but then she was still only 15 seconds down when she came across the line. So that just shows you how quickly she was already getting back. So I, my question, you know, should Megaly Rochette do the McCormick? I, you know, could we try that out for one day just to see what happens? Well, I, that's what I was asking her at the end of the race. I that I figured that she this was just planned, you know, just to just to test herself against uh, racing, racing with other people for a change. The one one thing to note, and I don't know if this is what caused her chain drop in that plank area. And Michael, we we, we refer to that as the cyclocross stretch. It's but, not the bend. Yeah. No, it's a stretch. You're bending over. You're stretching oh. down. It's like you're touching your toes. It's a okay. cycle cross. The cycle cross stretch. Uh, so check my notes on that one. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, if it's not, I think that I'm um um changing it. Offering, I'm offering an edit. Okay. Yeah, I like that better. I like I like cycle cross stretch better. Just shirt. It could be a shirt. We could just have somebody like bending over their bike and just a uh, cycle cross. Okay. Um, I'm big on shirt ideas now. That's my back into it. Uh, the, the planks are right under a very majestic old oh. tree that is dumping acorns everywhere. That they were sweeping some of them out, but it the it was a you know lost cause to get them out there. In fact, I saw I did see in a couple races people riding and then making that left turn and just like losing losing their tire and uh, wiping out there. So it was. It was a tricky. It was a tricky plank section. It wasn't wasn't exactly straightforward. So I don't I don't know if that had anything to do with it. If like she got like a squirrel in there or something, but could have been a root. Could have been a big root. So are you saying that the squirrel is the new giraffe of 2017 Hartford Nationals? Is that what you're saying? It's possible. Okay, it's very possible. Tim, Tim, if you're listening, go go Zapruder the film to see if it was a squirrel. So we had a situation after that where Magli Rochette was playing catch up. And b- before you knew it, our, our junior world champion in, in two disciplines was uh, going from, let me try and see how, if I have any cyclocross legs to leading the race and looking pretty darn strong out there on her own. Yeah. I, I mean, she benefited, uh, from you know caroline money uh doing a little takeout there was a lot going on it was really slick and you know she did uh she slipped out you know isabella was in the right place uh 
it took out Sydney McGill. She kind of went crashing into her and, you know, Magalie Rochette, I think was fifth wheel and was like, Oh, I'm just going to have to squeeze around you here. Uh, but yeah, the two of them got to the front. I was super stoked. We got the battle that we wanted. And like, let's be honest, Bella was taking Magalie to school. I mean, she was super aggressive and got a massive gap. I mean, you know, in bill, you were talking about that shortened section, after the run-up in the jungle, but really kind of a decisive section with the the way it was coming down, you kind of went into an off-camber turn that maybe there were a couple lines on, but Ryder's really liking that as a place to attack and open gaps, and it seemed like Bella really was putting Magali in her under-tiring, under-treading, under-pressure, and then she just, she ate it at the the front of the half-pipe, and you're just like, man, like, I, I don't know, I was just really impressed that that Bella brought it to the battle with Rochette knowing I think I think everyone is what what people wanted to see and she's like yeah I'm not afraid let's do it and I loved it I loved every second of it yeah and then I think even it when she got on her back foot again I didn't ask anybody it seemed like so on day two pit one was a little uphill drag and then the 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 non-pit lane had a big mud puddle in it. So that that definitely seemed like the the side you wanted to pit on as opposed to pit 2 where you're coming off of the off of the bike path or you're coming off of a paved road, you're making that left and then it's just like screaming fast down down the pit lane. So if you're changing on pit 2, I think you're losing more time than if you're changing on pit 1. So after that she did uh, Magalie did have to change bikes and I think that got her behind again. And I think, uh, Bella kind of saw that happening and again, put in another really big, big dig late, late in that race. And that, um, looked like it might've been decisive, but I think we were, I mean, you were watching at home. We were doing the math here. I think she was 18 seconds behind when she made that bike change. And by the next lap, she was like four seconds behind. Yeah, it went it went down super fast uh, in terms of her racing. Uh, but I guess it probably warrants talking about it. And Bill, maybe you have some insight. Rochette got an extra lap. She had so much time. Like, she had extra time, overtime, uh, to get back in the game. She didn't even have to tie it up in regulation. She could have come from behind in overtime uh, somehow. And I was perplexed because there's a little bit of a challenge because there's a three-minute prologue. Um, but you look at the lap times, and they're, even the opening lap, I think they did 7.30 before it started to get worse. And you're like doing the math, and you're like, I think it comes out to like plus the 48 minutes plus the three. And they're just like, you know what? Why don't you just do another lap? So big oversight. Uh, we'll note that I was more than happy to have an extra lap of racing in this race. I will note that the women did just fine and were able to race to the end, and it was a great race. Nothing, nothing happened, nothing, you know, nothing bad happened, but it was just kind of interesting that you're like doing the math and you're like, they're going to be racing for an hour. And the winning time was 58 minutes uh, in this race. Do we think that that added time might've hindered Isabella though? I don't know in terms of junior mountain biking, racing the times, but like she's not quite trained up for that long of a race. Do you think she kind of maybe could have held it off. I, I can't remember exactly where it broke down in terms of laps and where the gaps were, but I'm just thinking that, you know, she's maybe ra- used to racing shorter. And so that might've tired her out a bit. 
Yeah, Rochette passed her inside two to go, so the winning move would have been to the line in the bell lap as opposed to with two to go. Got it. Um, but, you know, there's the whole pacing. Like, how does how do you pace yourself knowing that you have to do this extra lap? Does she kind of, like, take off the throttle or whatever? That's a very good point. I, I think also there... I, I didn't hear anything uh, about how, how that all broke out, but I think that maybe wasn't there some critical. I'm just looking like day two at Roanoke was 48 minutes. Day one was 46 minutes. Could have done another lap there. I was, I, I thought I heard something come questioning of if they should have done a, one more lap in Roanoke. So maybe, maybe part of that played into it as well. But yeah, I think I think it was just uh, whenever you get a, whenever you get those changing conditions like right. that, I think yeah, yeah, I I think that is always sort of trying to err on the side of making sure that we're long instead of short, which is which is great, uh, which is what so. we've constantly railed against, right? The the two short races, so having right. the too long is as you said, Zach. There was more racing action, and uh, it was such a good race. But yeah, it's better that way. Yes. Um, Let us all remember the three three lap World Cup at Truck. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So <laughs> let's remember some race times. <laughs> so I I just looking at my notes for this race, I I wrote I wrote down that in in I don't know. I'm curious to think what would you guys how do you interpret this? But J Pow called Rochester a preseason race for Magali. And okay, it's not a World Cup. Um but you do have, like, you have Isabel Holmgren, a world champion there. This is stop two in the US CX. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think, like, this is sort of, we're not sure what Magley is going to do for the rest of the year. I know that her seasons have changed the last two years because of things. But, like, this kind of seems like it is early, but it is... Obviously, she has dominated on day one. Day two was a bit of a challenge, but she had adversity and she got through it. So she, her skills are there. But is this a preseason race? Is this practice? Well, here, here's the thing. Magalie came into this season not knowing where she was. And she basically has said, I'm going to see how this first month goes. If it goes well, you know, maybe we'll rearrange where our plans are and how, you know, and take advantage of that fitness and, and go to Europe. But I don't, yeah, I, I didn't hear him say that. I would, I'm not saying he didn't, but I would in the context of, of what he was saying. But I think if you're hired to call a USCX series, maybe you shouldn't say it's the preseason, which uh, <laughs> tends to denote something not as important and that there's yeah. another season somewhere else. So I, I don't know that I would necessarily um, use that phrasing for, for this. I think that these are important races and these are really, uh, this is this is a season and it's the most important domestic season that we have the, the you know these three races and then the world cup and then coming back for falmouth to to end it up you know with indianapolis and and cincinnati in there as well as as big races so yeah i i, I think that maybe seeing a bigger picture with world cyclocross fine you know if you have goals that are in europe but uh somehow and i don't think he was doing this i know i know he wouldn't be doing this and it's just maybe a bad phrasing but saying that this is yeah. anything different than than the cyclocross season i think is um yeah i mean this is this is this is what we do you know we take advantage of having this time slot to be able to folk have 
really the world focus on the racing that we have here. And, you know, we'll talk about having Isabella here, having Magley here, having people who are probably not going to race North America the whole year. This, this is when we get to take advantage of that. You know, I know EKZ tries to do the, the same kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's great that the opportunity is there. I think it's great that we can get all the talent that's available. Hopefully even more people will come in. We'll talk, you know, we talked about that last week with the men's race. We'll talk about it again, that we're getting more in, of an international flavor. And I, I hope that continues, especially, you know, it's kind of the, the fallout of only having world, one World Cup here is that there's not that as big a drive to have the Super Prestige and all of these other series start up because those racers can start their you know, preparation a little later if they want and if they're not going to the U.S. World Cup. So uh, the parting parting shot of Megley Rochette's uh, interview on day two was to say, oh, Canada, one, two, three with uh, Megley Rochette. I like, too, that it's a representative of across the board. You have uh, Megley Rochette's from Quebec. Isabel Holmgren from Ontario and Sydney McGill is from Alberta, I believe. So pretty cool to see kind of, you know, the, the provinces of Canada being represented. So here's my, my question. Uh, I did not do this research. Uh, this is for you, Jan, of course. Uh, has there even ever been a time where we've had two Canadians on an American podium? Now I know there's like the bear crossing GP where it's all Canadians and stuff like that. I found one race uh, 2017 KMC CrossFest where Chris, uh, Crystal Ferry-Bruneau finished fourth. So that was close. Uh, but mm. I want to know, have there been, has there been two Canadians on an elite podium in a race in America before? I mean, I could world cup too. I'll take a world cup too, or something in Europe, but that seems less likely. I like, I like this, this trivia, Zach. I, I just, yeah, the, the Putain party was out and in force, uh, on Sunday. <laughs> I may use that in future. Uh, can I use this in future write-ups? Yeah, yeah. All yeah. credit to Bodie. Okay, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Okay. Should we move over to our men's race day one? Where, where? Zach, start us off. So this is for Bodie, and I was struggling with this last night. So I think you know we call it Rochette Chester. Uh, that term was coined in the media gazebo by Bill. In 2019, we were hanging out. It was a beautiful, I remember it was a beautiful, when it wasn't raining, <laughs> beautiful early September afternoon, hanging out. We were still, you know, pseudo enemies, competing, uh, cycling publications, and Bill just dropped that. And it was perfect. Uh, and so what? Rochette has won one, two, I don't even know how many times she's won there. But I feel like we're doing a little bit of a disservice to our man, Vinny B. Uh, Vinny I- B., can I jump in here really quick? Because I was of with course. Scott Page and him and uh, James, who's another uh, one of the longtime uh, Rochester Cross guys. I, I think he he pretty much hand, is in charge of a lot of of what goes on in in that organization, and they they sort of on their own. I, I walked up, they were at the planks and I walked up as they're brainstorming and they were talking about changing the trust just so it said Rochette crossed. And I was like, well, you know, it's right there. <laughs> We've called it for years. Rochette's cross. You could just do that. And they were like, oh yeah, that's 
that's great. We could do that. I'm like, yes, yes, you could. It's <laughs> you should subscribe to the uh, CX Harris Bulletin. Uh, yeah. So it's it's funny that it's as as we always say, the best jokes are the you know ones that many people will come up on their own eventually. So in 2019, as we were standing at the gazebo, we were actually just coming off a win by Vincent Bastons. It was his first trip. We did, little did we know, Bill. Little did we know that we were seeing kind of like USCX history being born. He won four times in a row, swept 2021, swept 2022. Spoiler alert, did pretty well this weekend. Do we need a 1A? But what's what's the pun? I couldn't come up with it. Jeremy said Vincent Rochester Bastons. That's what I went with because it was late and I was doing my race report. Bodie, do you got anything? Oh, you put me on. Have I, you been workshopping? No. I thought you were workshopping this. You I thought send you me were a workshopping in this. in the chat and I'll, I would come to the show with the, 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 I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't even want to. Yeah. I mean, we got Kodak. We got, uh, paychecks we got uh garbage plates those were all stuff i used in the cxd trek bikes uh um post so i got kind of burned all those but i'm just saying these are these are the things that we can build on wegmans we got wegmans the rochester institution man i'm got thinking the, i'm just thinking eerie eerie canal fun we just call them like upstate vinnie b i mean Ooh, i i like upstate vinnie b is is rochester upstate though I think it's West. Ooh, am I? I, I, I think you. I think Ooh. you will get in trouble for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I. 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 I was trying to clarify this when I was there for the crit about what. What exactly part of the country is Rochester? Because uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Zach. I wish I had a good um, nickname or a pun, and I bet we will get some good answers in the Slack channel. Um. So. I was just looking back at the results, and this is, you know, who is the who is the one guy who has interrupted Vinny B's streak? Well, Curtis last year. Oh, at Rochester, I'm sorry. At Rochester? Yeah. It was a pretty baller race. Oh, do you, I know the answer. Do you want to tell the answer? Oh, was do it high? Curtis White. Curtis White. Curtis White. Day yeah. two, 2019. He I was right. Off I was just, right. just in right. the wrong race. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he YOLO'd at the attack. He was solo off the front uh, with his teammate Hyde kind of in the, the group and just went for it and pulled it off. It was pretty cool. He he beat us week. Oh, oh Dieter. Dieter Sweek in second place. Um, yeah. All right. Man, so this, this race on... Uh, on Saturday, I mean, I think we're starting to see with the men's race that a lot of group racing, it just seems to be the norm uh, at this point. I, you know, I, I was talking about it in the green room. I think I, I just come out like, you know, so last week at Roanoke, uh, we had some issues with Loris Rouillet not working well, not playing well with other people with Anton Ferdinande and our boy Strohmeyer, and I, I do have to say, I do love that people are already getting psyched for races to watch Strohmeyer. I saw it on Twitter. It, I, I think this is this dynamic is great. It's awesome to see his development and to see, uh, albeit it was DC people, but I don't know. We've got some European people and we've got an American to cheer for who's kind of an underdog. We love the underdog story. It's my theory on why we love Olympic hockey. 
uh, for a men is because we're not the best at it. And that's why we like it so much. Um, but Strohmeyer got to do some of that. And we got to see one of the great bike racing traditions of the flick the elbow, person doesn't pull through, and then make a very wild gesture uh, to pull through. But all of this to say is... Loris Rier, again, refused to do any work. And you know what? I was kind of happy he didn't finish on the podium this day because uh, that was not cool. And I think he got what he deserved. What, just, let's just keep going there and then we'll go into some of the other things like Anton Ferdinand and stuff like that. But what, what was it that he deserved? I mean, let's just take us, take, us, take us a little blow by blow through this, this one because it was an exciting race. Man, I'm trying to remember. It's blending in with Sunday's race. Uh, I mean, so basically what was happening is that the previous week, so the the backstory on this is on the Saturday on the Sunday race, Loris Rier was like, "Yeah, well, I know I'm stronger than Vinny B, so I'm just I don't care if he comes back in. I'm racing for the win." Uh, Vincent uh, Bastans was he was dangling, he was dangling hard. He looked like he was in a world of hurt. You know, when accelerations would go uh, on the drier course, he just didn't have the juice to follow it. He'd be the first to admit this. We also learned that he crashed really bad in a training ride uh, the previous week. So, you know, I think that he didn't even know how he would do, but we didn't necessarily know that at the time. He's dangling and, you know, Strohmeyer got a gap and was like, let's make, let, like, let's get rid of Vinny B. And I think that is any other bike racer would be like pretty standard that there's a guy who can win races and you drop him, you work together to make him continue to be dropped. And so that's kind of the backstory is the week before, Rue's like, well, I didn't think Bastons could win. So I was okay with him coming back. And, uh, you know, it serves him right for not working with Andrew, for not taking advantage. But I, I guess I came to this realization in the green room, I think, that he realizes that he's not the strongest guy in this field. And, you know, it worked okay at, at GoCross because literally there was one hill to sprint to. And if you sprinted to the top of that hill first, you won the race. He got punked. He didn't even finish on the podium. And I think that's really the gist. And uh, Vincent Bastan's crafty I, spitballs at this point. I don't think he's throwing spitballs. Is he a knuckleballer yet? Just really crafty veteran. He's he's just a he's just a typical masters racer. He just and I I say this like because I recognize the behavior that you let the young guns go out front and hammer themselves against the wall until they're done, and then you just come up, sneak up the inside turn, and you gap them in the sprint. Um, correction corners. Loris did finish on the podium day one. Just so like oh he did sorry yeah yeah he got okay. third yeah so oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was it was Curtis White who was making that last second, maybe going to bridge up, but then and then the front three because they had sat up for a second, they 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 uh they went. Yeah, they basically it. sat up and allowed Vinny to get back in there, and then everybody got really excited because Curtis was able to get it down to like six seconds or so. But then once Vinny got back and said, "Oh, you guys are just going to sit here. I'm going," then the pace picked right back up and you know curtis wasn't able to i think he did the exact same thing in the saturday c1 last year too if i remember i remember taking photos of him being like he's so close but but, but here right there here so we we keep wanting to try to hand jamie driscoll's mantle to some other rider <laughs> have we just been not looking for the obvious i mean is is isn't Vinny b like the, an actual dangler i mean he he made the dangle pay off 
He's like the dangling. best dangler. He's actually yeah. he's like should he dangled eighty percent of that race and then just, won. Just and he right had, there. Yeah, I I think you could give the Belgian dangler. Well, as Bill pointed out, though, an important part of uh, the Jamie Driscoll lore as the dangler is that he could win races like everyone was scared shitless if Jamie Driscoll was within 20 seconds of the lead of a race. I remember uh, at Hartford Nats, he finished second and Hyde was just like, yeah, I was deathly afraid of of Jamie Driscoll um, being that close to me because he had the threat of winning races. So I think we talk about it sometimes. You're like, oh, that person's dangling off. I think it is perfect. Vinny B is capable of winning a races and he's been dangling and you don't, you don't want to let that guy back in. I, I think Loris learned the hard way. And, you know, Strohmeyer, I think was kind of caught with a guy who refused to work with him. Do you, I, so I was watching this at the wedding and I was very, I was very excited for Andrew. I was pumped and I, I thought we were going to have, a statement race for Andrew. Bill, is this a statement? No, okay. it's not a statement. Not okay. yet. It's it's, okay. it's 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 a progression. Got third place in Rona. It is. Got second place in Rochester. Here's what it comes down to. Our favorite thing here. You know, we're not alone. The sprint before the sprint. Where is the sprint before the sprint in in Rochester? Sprint for the sprint in Rochester really is the stairs because you make, when you get to the actual sprint, you're making a left-hand turn onto gravel and then you have to wind up your sprint from there. And even though it's a nice, it's a pretty long sprint, I, I it's, it's tough that you ever see anybody actually Pull ahead. I think Hyde outsprinted Powers once, and they both came onto the gravel together. I think that's the closest sprint I've seen there. So there was. I think the probably the biggest discussion point of this race once Vinny started pushing it, you know, and Strohmeyer was still out front. You know, it, the, the, if we think about this, Vinny actually didn't get the lead until the stairs because. Run a ride. The question as old as French farmland and cyclocross bikes. Uh, Strohmeyer made the decision to, to, to ride the stairs on the last lap, right? And he's up there first, and you can see both of them are able to run up faster. He's on his bike and accelerates ahead of Loris before he gets on his bike, but that allows Vinny to, to get that gap. At least that's what it looks like on TV from, you know, talking to Strohmeyer about this, he's like, there's not really much I can do here because he was like, let me try this. It's really my only last card I Mm. have to play because once Bastin's who's kind of been sitting there gets back on his bike, it's basically 1600 Watts out of a gun from that guy to the finish that Strohmeyer can't, can't match he can't match him i mean so there's the only thing he the only card he had to play was try to make those stairs work by riding them get a couple bike lengths and just hold on for dear life but you know if you're bringing like i guess loris didn't didn't uh read the uh read the 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 report on on vinnie you don't bring him to a finish either the guys the guy still got it and he was able to unload that unleash it and just uh he 
put, you know, seven seconds into them from the time he got to the stairs to the finish. Uh, on Loris, on Loris, and then you know, uh, Strohmeyer did all he could trying to sprint with him on the finish, but it wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't going to be able to catch him. Yeah, I mean, I think there were two things at play with that. Then too, uh, Vinny went left, and it was a left exit on the left. Like Loris, literally by the uh, principles of geometry that we learned about at Ostenda, uh, we all became cyclocross geometry experts. Like he had a shorter distance to go, and I think it's a nuanced skill. But Vinny B is fast as a runner and we saw him literally win a race at Roanoke against Eric Bruner last year on a staircase (laughs) we saw him carry an attack his decisive attack on Sunday really was born out of attacking into the run-up and so like you're just like oh man you know and and Andrew's strategy almost paid off like he almost got around him you know like because he was back on his bike he was able to get along Loris you know I like it you love the the go for broke. It reminds me of the Kerry Werner at Cincy day one in 2021, where he had no choice but to take the terrible line trying to hop the high planks. Mm. Go for broke. Go for broke. Uh, and you love to see it. And, you know, I think Andrew will learn from it. And also, uh, you know, Bill, that you bring up a great point. Uh, and I'm really glad that you had that insight from talking to him. But he's talked a lot about trying to figure out how to win these races. <laughs> he was like, I had to throw the entire playbook out and I'm sitting there in the last two laps because we didn't get the gap I wanted. I had to figure out how to beat these guys. And I just, you know, we talk about would maybe we'd rather be seeing North Americans racing against each other. I really think for riders like Strohmeyer, it's this amazing educational experience to get to race against these crafty veterans, these strong young Belgian riders and other Europeans. And I think for a rider like him, it's just a much better experience to have to think about those tactics. How can I win this race? And really at a young age, hone his craft and be like, how am I going to win this race? Uh, that maybe isn't an experience that he would get if he's kind of like off the front or something like that. So I love everything about it, even though he came up a little bit short. Uh, I, I don't know. It was a great race and it was an awesome finish and they were right there for, to cover it. And it was, it was awesome. It was great. Can you guys tell me about Anton's DSQ? Yes. Uh, so th- this is something, it was kind of interesting because Jens Decker got into this on X. Uh, and I think am I, 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 maybe I'll do something in the bulletin to follow up on it because he was he was basing a lot of what he was saying there on stuff that I had reported on in 2015. And all to say, to answer your question, he took an illegal feed. Now, those rules haven't really been talked about since 2015, 2016. And he did a nice job saying, you know, you're you're not allowed to go into the pits except to get a bike or wheels. So and the only time that you can get a feed or get water is if you have a bottle cage and the bike that you get exchanged for has a bottle on it and it has water in it. And this was a huge controversy back, I think even started with Rochester and with, uh, it may have been Magli Rochette who kind of, who had heat stroke and had to be taken to the emergency room at that in, in, in around that time zone that they were like, Hey, we, we have to start letting these people actually drink water so then you could go through the pits and you could get 
a feed and they, they, and then they started like another feed zone and they tried that for a year. And then they were, you know, the old heads somehow got control again. And they were like, that's not cyclocross. You know, you can race for an hour, you can race for 15 minutes. You don't need water. So we went back to that thing and there was a, a communique from the UCI in 2000, in the 2015, 2016 season saying, Basically, it wasn't a rule. It was just a communique saying you can't have a feed anywhere on the course. You cannot, nobody can give you water or anything. And that's it. So his, Anton's guy just kind of reached out from the pits right in front of the UCI official and handed him the bottle. And the, the official's like just sort of dumbfounded. He's like, what, what are you doing? You can't do that. And the guy's like, do what? And he just, he had no idea, you know, and I don't know if this guy's been working with him for a while. Uh, Anton wasn't, you know, I, I asked him about it in the interview after day two, and he was like, ah, "I made a mistake. It's uh, you know, it happens." He wasn't he wasn't really looking back on it, but that's that's what happened. But I think that the point that Jens is making is that what a dumb rule, and let's change it. And 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 maybe even to the point, and he, I, he was nicer than saying it was a dumb rule. He's saying it doesn't make sense in 2023 this rule, and that we've learned even from 2015 until now just how important it is to stay hydrated and and to keep kept fed and we we really should evolve the sport a little bit you know i mean may we'll we'll give them that we're still racing on these dumb narrow tires you know maybe someday maybe someday this arbitrary 33 millimeter um uh you know width will change but as far as feeding goes they feed in mountain bike they feed in road racing they every other discipline allows people to actually not get dehydrated on a on a course and as the world changes it's getting warmer in a lot of places and we're racing in warmer climates let's um let's let them feed and so yeah but that's the uci officials were doing what they were supposed to do and they they dq'd him I mean, they're taking gels in cross races 10 minutes in. Pitters is taking gels. So, yeah, yeah. like I just, it just seems like a, such a silly rule. Agreed. I, and I get that you can have a water bottle on your bikes. You can change bikes. I don't care. Hand ups are not a crime. Like, you should be able to take water bottle from the side somewhere else. It's not in the pit because you're going to the pit when people are trying to get uh, actually bike changes and you're in there getting water and like that's unnecessary. You shouldn't have to decide. Do I want to have a bottle cage on my bike or do I want to get to that run up and execute it in the most efficient way possible? Yeah. You shouldn't have to decide between one or the other. You should be able to race without a bottle cage, knowing that every lap you can come by and get a bottle, take a drink and toss it off to the side. Well, or do I want to risk like actual bodily harm or do I want to have to lose the six or seven seconds to take a pit bike? I mean, that's another choice, right? Exactly. We're making them choose between literal bodily harm that's unhealthy and losing time. It just seems ridiculous. Well, and and that all started, as we know, from years before that, when it just used to be foot down in the pits. You know, if you were going and it was a start and the, the... the travel lane was way too busy. You just go into the pit, you dismount, remount, or even before that, you just put a foot down and go back. And the officials were like, well, that seems like it's okay. And there's not really a rule because we just been doing it like this. And then, uh, the sauce boss complained because, uh, Lars Vanderhard did it once, uh, to his advantage. And then they had to make a rule that said you had to take a bike. So all of these things, you know, this isn't, 
these aren't stone tablets. Uh, UCI regulations can change, and we can change them, and that's definitely one that I think uh, needs to be uh, relooked at. So, Katarina, <laughs> if you are uh, listening, you, you always ask. You always ask me, what is it that I can bring to the commission? Well, the, the media put, pit would like to put in a, an official request for changing feeding rules in cyclocross races. After the race... <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't even describe it because I I was just on like um like lizard brain trying to figure out what to do in my uh my Vinny interview. Yeah, Bill, you've had these two races, you've had uh some challenging, some fun, some interesting interviews, some situations that I uh, don't envy you being in and I, I I thought yeah you I was able to watch the interviews and Vincent the win um was huge to him and he was emotional and he cried and I mean I think I think I I must have missed his retirement announcement earlier but he did say and that that this was going to be his last season and I I think he talked about his injuries act that you mentioned and the way that he raced uh, he came back and got the win and. He was crying, and I was once again thinking how cool, because I was also thinking about Loris' interview where he's like, yeah, I did it right. Like, I didn't write so good. Like, he, like just some honesty there, and I've really enjoyed uh, these characters that we're getting uh, this season here. Some some new faces, plus Vinny, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And so, Bill, you're doing a good job at these interviews, um, and I've really enjoyed them. And I know it's like, post-race interviews immediately aren't always the best and can be very difficult. And so I think you've done a good job of, of, I think, I think I, Bill, you from last year to this year, I think you've even got better at what you do there and I've appreciated it. Oh, thank you. That's very nice to hear. I, I will say with Vinny, the, it was, I was not prepared for this. You know, he came out, Nobody could have been prepared for this. He came over. I thought he was just like, and he was, he was just like, he was spent. Like he couldn't get onto the podium. Like he could not get up the steps to get onto the podium. And it was just very slow coming over here. So when he got emotional, I didn't really understand what it was about, but I think just sussing it out is that this is his last year racing. And Although it may not be a preseason race, I think that <laughs> Vinny has had a lot of success racing in the U.S. And before his training accident, he was hoping that this could have been the place that he got his final race win before retiring. And after crashing and after injuring himself and after having to go to the chiropractor like a couple times in that week and still not knowing if he was going to be ready to race to win it, I think just kind of took his breath away that he was able to achieve that goal that he kind of set for himself on a day where he wasn't sure if he could even race. So I think that's, that's really what kind of that reality hit him while, while he was uh, talking to me after the race. I, I guess I just want to, I mean, I think seeing that, I think fans have really come to appreciate him. I think that, you know, among the American fan base, he's done himself a lot of favors of making fans, even though we're a little annoyed. It's like, man, this guy's just like 
wrecking all of our riders and beating the Americans. Uh, but you talked to him. He's the nicest guy. I mean, at Roanoke, he recognized me. He was just like, I didn't expect that. He was like, hey, it's good to see, you know, one of those things. But really hit home. So, uh, you know, on our Instagram for, for the bulletin, I uh, had a couple... I don't know, friends of the show, McTubbin and Alan Schroeder chimed in uh, just with comments. And uh, he actually showed up to respond. And I want to read one that he responded. I think this speaks a lot about him. Um, And he said to Tobin, let me teach that guy, Andrew Stormeyer, the last points of final racing and he can come far. Rainbow emoji. I I will say very strong rider. Uh, And, you know, Alan Schroeder said something to the effect of, wow, you know, he's really happy to be beating these other guys. And he said, you need to be really happy that you can beat those young, strong riders. They're making progressions every year. uh, And it's amazing seeing them get better every year. And he didn't have to do that. You just love to see that it speaks to a genuine human being who's really excited and really respects the other people that he's racing against. And I think to me... I just got both of those comments because I guess Instagram gives you your top commenters now. And he was our top comment one after another. And I think it was just really neat to see the magnanimity uh, from a guy to do that and to see that like clearly racing here means a lot and that, you know, you can see the friendships that he's making with riders and stuff. And you really love to see it. I hope there's another Vinny B who's as great of a guy uh, who comes to play that role uh, again, because I think he's just been great and, you know, I'm kind of sad. I, I was almost like tearing up too. It's like, you know, you know how much it meant and you know that it's kind of his last dance here in, in the U S and I don't know. I, I just think it speaks to what he's done here. And I, I, I think you're right. And I think he has, if you talk to those U S riders, he's the guy that they want to be able to, that's kind of their, their benchmark for these, these U uh, S C X races. So it's great that to see him back on, on, form without being healthy is is pretty amazing uh curtis white who we talked about did end up fourth in that race michael vanningham i think you uh mentioned it maybe before we started always races well at rochester looks like he's on a upward progression fifth in this race jules van kempen i don't think we talked about him last week but having having a really good start to the season uh another guy just racing in these elite races uh u23 racer sixth place um and then just uh Two other guys that showed up uh, here in Rochester, which I guess um, you know we need to talk about uh, Americans. Uh, seventh place was Lance Hated on on day one, uh, taking taking a break from the the gravel scene. So it was great to see him. And and in eighth place was Scott Funston, you know the the happy fun ball who we always uh, love seeing in these races and uh, is good to mix things up at the front. I think he he may have gotten the whole shot and was uh, leading this race for a little while. Um, but yeah, so he's always, always gonna, gonna mix things up there. And then, um, Isabella Holmgren's, uh, teammate Ian Ackert, uh, 18 years old, um, in the U23s now was in ninth place. Marcus Shelton finished it up in 10th. I think that's day one. And then the rains came. (laughs) So here was the thing you were talking about it earlier that about tire choice and, Rochester is a course that has some good technical sections, but is also 80% grass. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a heavy, not heavy, but it's, a, it, it's heavy on the grass. It is a grass course. So that really affects w- what tires you're going to use. If, we, if we're looking, 
this is this is going to be like uh, F1 and Pirelli, but we're going to instead of Pirelli, it's going to be Challenge. So if you're looking at Challenge tires, uh, Grifo is kind of your your all arounder, your your F1 medium tire. That's that's what if you don't know what to do, you put the Grifo on. But if you're riding in grass, it's not necessarily the most efficient tire. So I think a lot of your top end riders were looking at you know maybe the chicane but definitely the dune which is more of a file tread ish like very tiny knobs really faster in the grass but also enough enough traction that they can still ride in those technical sections and that's what i think a lot of people because it wasn't raining earlier in the day we're planning to ride. I'm sure that's maybe the the choice that Magley had had made at first. Uh, you know, a, a lot less aggressive tire, and then once the rain came, it was it was slick. And I think that even in these turns, they were like super slick in the grass turns, and then everybody had to move to the Grifos or something more aggressive. So that that was kind of the the mindset that was going on on Sunday. There was a lot more thinking about what tire you're going to use. And I think it was changing from when you were going out on your recon laps to when you were actually racing. And I think that some people, especially in the men's field, because it was, it looked like it was letting up and then it might've gotten heavier, probably may have started on it, the wrong tire and that, that hurt their chances early. Should we get into the action for this race? Zach, (laughs) I'm, I'm leaning on you since you uh, you do such a good job. I know you don't want me to because you it's so hard to, to change to get the difference between Saturday and Sunday. But rain race, men's race. You're right. I am I am actually struggling to remember. I think what was interesting to me in this race is that uh, we saw Andrew Strohmeyer talk on Saturday. Uh, that he was really trying to, to to feel things out, and he didn't want to kind of like do the amount of work that he did at Roanoke uh, on Saturday when he had that really memorable result. You know, he was the guy who animated everything. It's like, oh, it's going to chill a little bit more. And I think if you look back, you know, he had one moment where he was pushing the pace, but he definitely like sat in, picked his moment to, to make a move. Uh, in this race, he's just like, you know what? I'm going all out. And it felt, someone was commentating on this, that it seemed like a fast race. It seemed like despite the conditions that riders were just going really fast and you know Ferdinande was there too I I think there was one point in the prologue where literally like Andrew Anton and Loris were literally like bumping into each other trying to get the lead position uh in that prologue and you know even saw that Loris got a little bit of a gap early on but I think it just seemed early on that the the standard was set that they were gonna they were going to race really hard and things really stretched out. And it seemed like Strohmeyer really contributed this, which was just really funny. If you listen to his interview on Saturday, that it was kind of like the polar opposite of what his plan for that race was. So here's, here's, and I know you'll get this. I'm not sure everybody else, but I'll explain it anyway. You know, I was talking about my little Miss Pac-Man pattern that, you know, if you want to watch the race or if you're covering it as a media person, you sort of pick your spots and you know where you can get to before the riders do. Cause you can just like cut off the course. So for this, for the day two with a turned around, you can get the start and then you can make your way to the reversed double trouble and you can get there. And then you should be able to get back to the flyover because they head off into the woods and then come back and they go underneath the flyover. They go over to, to get back to the fields. So it's not that far from double trouble back to the flyover. I was in double trouble 
I shot them, by the time the whole field went through, and maybe this is just a, a, um, a good sign that we have such large fields, on lap one, when they're all still pretty close together, by the time I was able to get out of double trouble and just make my way back down to the flyover, which is 50, 100 yards away, the leaders were already there. Which every other race of the day, I was like, I could sit there for a minute and just sort of wait and set up and figure out my shot. And I was like, already missed the top three. They're already gone. I mean, they were just hauling. There was, yeah. Well, that's what happens when, as everyone points out, you were in a canoe or a kayak, you know, in the river. Because uh, apparently that's what you do for that to get that shot. So that might be part of your problem that you had to like drag the canoe up on shore, <laughs> put the oars down. I, that might have been part of it. Um, I, I can tell you that in the early races, I was just like dust monster sitting in that corner because you you look at all like the trees and stuff and they're just brown. They're just covered in dust. I was like, I don't care. I'm getting the shot, whatever. And then by the time the men's came around, it was so nice. It was just raining. There was like no dust. And I could sit back there comfortably and. Yeah, so we had, uh, you know, Curtis White, I think, had a disappointing weekend in Roanoke. I'm sure that he's not super thrilled about this weekend. He tripped after the barriers and fell. Maybe it was a guy. It was a squirrel. It had to have been a squirrel, the evil squirrel. Uh, You know, Illinois, we had, we had, we called them quad squirrels. They were particularly aggressive that would be denizens of the quad there. So I'm just going to assume we import a quad squirrel, squirrel from the U of I quad. Um, but uh, Ferdinanda actually got a gap. I mean, I think we talked about my storyline for this was kind of uh, redemption. Bodhi, you asked, was there a statement made? Uh, you know, I think a statement in the context of the UXCX series, I think Curtis, Anton, and Andrew Strohmeyer all had something riding on this weekend. And obviously Anton was uh, DQ'd. Um, but, you know, he got a gap. Surprise, surprise, though, it was Andrew Strohmeyer uh, who chased it down. Um, so that was kind of the early action. And I, I don't remember what it came down to. I think we had a group again. Well, we had a group again. It was a group of five because Lance Haydat, awesome to see him in that group and really throwing his weight around. I felt like Lance was kind of like making moves. He was not afraid to help chase stuff down. He was riding really well and smooth. You know, I think, Bill, you invoked... Uh, his history. He won the famous snow race at 2017 Nationals as a U23 on ice skates. Uh, so he excels in those conditions. And then the usual suspects were also there. Yeah, I'll just say about Lance, the the conditions he has, um, he's kind of like the Liam Neeson of uh, cyclocross racing. He has a specific set of skills. And, <laughs> and those those are not heavy mud, but kind of light slippery greasy mud like you give that to lance and he's just gonna i, I was remembering like uh reno uh the, the the cross vegas reno cross race he he won that and it was kind of the same thing it was like wet but it wasn't like heavy like it wasn't watts it was more like power and technique and that's that's kind of that that's so he saw that and he was like this race is for me was that the 12 person group ride race I love remembering some races, the favorite hobby of mine. Um, so really, it came down to, you know, Bill, you were talking about that section where I think just after the run up wasn't super long, but you kind of go out and back, you jump over the rocks, then you go through the, the half pipe section, which is perfectly named. And it just really seemed like, you know, Vinny B, among all people, understands that that's where you attack. I think we saw it both of his wins the previous year. He's just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm better in this, and I'm gonna attack here. And 
I think he really kind of caught caught the boys a little flat-footed. Uh, it was inside two to go or inside three to go coming out of double trouble. He wasn't first. He wasn't second. I think he was third wheel, and he just attacked into the run-up and then just kept going. And he knows that it's that craftiness that he talked about, like the conditions and knowing that he's a better technical rider. He was just like, this is my spot. And once he got the gap, it was it was perfect. No one could match him. You know, I think Andrew and Lance were the first two, and they did as much as they could. But there was no bringing him back. It was like a vintage Vinnie B performance that we've seen at Rochester. He knows his spot. I th- actually thought that's where you were going, Bill, with knowing knowing the course and knowing your spots. Is Vinnie B knows that he is the king of the jungle. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I I tuned into this race and I saw there's a big group and there's Lance in this mix and then it was Andrew and Vincent attacked and on the bike path and he got that gap. And then unfortunately, the Americans kind of tired themselves out before the end because then there's Anton and Loris who were fighting for the podium. Um, And I was... Yeah, I was bummed to see that. I, I I was I was wanting to have a I wanted that statement to come true. I wanted Stro time to to happen. Sorry, Bill. Sorry, Stro time. It's just it's so good. Big dig. Yeah, big that's dig. the winner. It's, it's it's good to say Stro time is good to say, but his his nickname is the big dig. Big dig. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think that the one thing that those guys, when they were confident they could beat Vincent so they weren't worried about it in Roanoke, uh, the guy tasted victory, and he said as much after the race that that just gave him confidence, and now I think that he is a force to be reckoned with, especially going into Baltimore. You know, He was able to break away from these guys, win this race by almost 10 seconds. That second group was coming in to sort of sprint for or second or third, or work out who was going to get second, third in the last uh, quarter of of the last lap. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's – there's not much more to say. It just sets up for, for what what is going to be another great battle in – in uh in Baltimore and 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 you know I, what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that guys like Curtis White who has had success in Charm City you know this that was the epic rain race last year where he beat Vinny in a super exciting race you know and and Scott Funston who's just you know getting back into this they were like a minute down, minute 15 down in this race. I'm, I'm just hoping that we're able to integrate those guys, maybe even Michael Vandenham, back into that leading group, you know, and get get beyond this four and five riders that we have in there and make it a, make it a little more exciting with, with more people in there that can, that can stick, stick with it to the end. So I don't know. Any other, any other notes on, on day two, Zach? I don't even know it's on day two, but just because we're going to Charm City, we're halfway through the USCX. I think it's worth notice, uh, worth noting that in the men's standings, Loris has a two point lead over Vincent, um, and Curtis is you know they're forty points back. So it looks like it's those two right there who will be battling for the win. And you know, Loris went two dubs first week, Vincent two dubs second week. So. I don't know. Interesting who comes up. Maybe Anton, maybe Santon finally figures his ish out and uh, takes a win. 
Well, yeah, and it's sort of the the one. You know, I, I I think that the organizers of the USCX sort of go back that maybe they would want it more spread out or maybe not. I I'm more of a proponent that almost like I wish really rad was the week after Charm City because we're going to have the same situation that. I don't know if Vincent's going to be racing really rad. I don't know if Anton's going to be real, racing really rad or Loris. I don't know if Strohmeyer's going to be racing really rad. So again, it comes into just these free points that are that are going to be in the finale of the series with racers, at least on the men's side, who you know are kind of picking up the picking up the pieces from those who are were in contention that are no longer there yeah that that's a good point bill i mean i i yeah 50 points for first place um and if if those guys first and second don't actually aren't there uh curtis yeah curtis could curtis could win it again you know and he could you know and like strohmeyer you know was out of the points that he dnf'd day two of roanoke so he just kind of lost out on on that opportunity and yeah i think curtis you know Steady, steady might win it again. Yeah, on the women's side, you know, Mag is she's got that. I mean, it's pretty big gap over Manny, but another interesting tight battle in second and third between Carolyn Monty and Sydney McGill. And my preseason pick this year was Sydney McGill. I texted you guys that she's got fourth, she's got third, just like Strohmeyer. She's moving up, so look for big things from Sydney just because. I was feeling the Canadian vibes. All right. Anything else we need to cover? I mean, I think the other, just the other big news that there's been a lot of questions about what Claire Hansinger is doing with the folding of EF Education first, Silicon Valley Bank, which doesn't exist anymore, TIPCO, or TIPCO, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, returning to her roots, she's going to be racing for Team S&M, the Selwood Cycle team out of Portland, and she'll be kicking off her season at the Trek weekend. But I think really kind of the newsworthy thing, Bill, you actually hinted this, and I, no one picked up on it, that she'll be racing at King's. Uh, you kind of just dropped a little dropped a little nug in your Instagram stories that I noted, but they had the big uh, reveal. And so it's, it's awesome to see that's a team that supports a number of riders, and they're going to be kind of doing uh, the traveling circus thing uh, that they do. So great to see her representing kind of the the local team and really awesome to see that she's going to be doing a few of the the races this year. And I think Pan Ams is on her schedule. Uh, so, you know, might be getting the best riders out for, for Pan Ams. Great to see. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to, to see where she's at. I mean, we, we say, we say it's be really interesting to see where Clara is at when she shows up and usually where she's at is really fast. So uh, hopefully that, that will continue. Should we close things up there? We got Charm City next week. Zach, see ya, see ya on the on the ground. So, uh, Bodie, you're in charge of uh, remote viewing okay. for us. Well, do you know what I'm gonna be? I'm gonna be like, I'm doing a gravel race this weekend. Of course you are. Well, I was gonna say change your tea time, but I guess. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>